Hello, hello, and welcome back to Something to Noodle On. I'm your host, Mac, an average 30-something exploring the complex questions that keep us up at night. Lately, I've been thinking about the struggle between success and creativity. Why is it that the closer we get to the top, the more our ideas start to flatline? Perhaps people pleasing or advancing technology gets in the way. Whatever the answer, this question should definitely give us something to noodle on. One of the greatest gifts the internet has blessed us with, especially for creative types, is the ability to easily share our creative works with an audience. No longer do we have to wait for somebody important in the industry to take notice of our efforts. With the click of a button, we can post our artwork to an online gallery or self-publish and distribute our stories. Maybe even build a channel for our videos or help even host a podcast. There's absolutely nothing in our way to stop us from dipping our toes into multiple formats of expression. The potential for creativity is limitless. A simple idea can turn into a sprawling multiverse of imagination. If you have time to make it, the internet has space to store it and share it. Because we have so many accessible options at our disposal, it's natural to want to try everything at least once. And I believe it's in these beginning stages of exploration that we truly allow our creativity to flourish. At this point, we don't have any burdens or expectations to influence the process. We're simply creating for the sake of creating, giving our imaginations free reign of the canvas the notebook page, or heck, the computer screen. Our works of art are vivid and vibrant, pure and untainted by any outside forces. We find success in our own self-satisfaction and occasionally in the passing admiration of others. When we're on top of our game, creativity flows unbridled until it doesn't anymore. Sometimes we're just experiencing a temporary block or we just need some new source of inspiration. We buckle down and do what it takes to get our creative juices flowing again. And then we're back in the zone. No problemo. Other times we're faced with seemingly insurmountable obstacles. There is a certain turning point that many creators hope to come to, even if we never really verbalize it. It's that intersection where hard work meets opportunity and a lucky star shines down on us. The next thing you know, our creative talents are the source of our income and we're living the dream. Recognition is great, but when you hear the people cry, shut up and take my money, it's an amazing feeling, almost like soaring through the air. We ride the wind for as long as we can. With hard work and determination, we might even find ourselves at the top. As they say, the view from the top is spectacular. For many, this is the pinnacle of success, though we are each able to define what success means to us. Regardless of what that entails, we want our audience or our customers or our subscribers to continue enjoying our work. But the more we succeed in captivating our supporters and earning revenue, 
the more our goal becomes about maintaining sustainability and longevity instead of sharing our artistic vision. Then the inevitable happens. We hit that creative dry spell and everything changes. But what causes our focus to shift like this? One big reason is outside influences play a large part in defining how our content takes shape. Once we have a dedicated fan base, the pressure to deliver satisfying and enjoyable content or goods begins to mount. Suddenly, we're no longer relying on our own instincts during the creative process, but allowing the audience to influence what we make and share next. This is especially true if a large part of our revenue is earned from commissions. But even if we aren't making what people are telling us to make, we're still trying to figure out what everybody wants. Whether that's a game they want to see a live streamer play or a topic they want to hear a podcast or discuss. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. (laughs) A lot of existing documentation explores the influence of consumer behavior and buyer personalities or personas on sale. Audience demographics such as age, gender, or location have an obvious effect on what content resonates with specific groups of people. What's important to one demo may be inconsequential to another. How we approach these differences can make or break our continued success. And bottom line, none of these things have to do with who someone might be as an artist or what fantastical visions might be spiraling through their imagination. And yet these external influences cannot be ignored if success is to continue. When I look at my own success on YouTube, you can see the turning point of videos I wanted to make and the videos the audience wanted to see. I love just dicking around in Minecraft, but those videos don't get the same views as a one block or a structured retelling of a story. So in order to keep the success I have, I have to make videos that the community wants to watch. Returning audiences and frequent customers come to expect certain things from our work. When we deviate from the standard of expectation, there's a tendency for people to seek out what we were originally creating elsewhere. Unfortunately, we don't succeed simply because our work is well-crafted. I wish that was the case. Lots of talented people are still out there waiting for their big break hoping to finally be discovered and lavished with praise. Rather, there is some tantalizing je ne sais quoi in their stories, visuals, and tangibles we share that is resonating with the fans of our work, coaxing them to come back and devour more of the fruits of our labors. Changing the focus, the scope, or even the medium through which we are sharing our work can lead to dissatisfaction with our core audience. If we take away the delicious offerings that fed our fan base in the first place, chances are they will leave to seek out new sources to fulfill their content cravings when it's taken away from them. This is commonly seen on video or streaming channels, especially Twitch and YouTube. It's not unheard of for a streamer to start out playing a variety of different games to a handful of viewers and then all of a sudden explode when they start playing the right game at the right time. They become known as a Minecraft streamer or a horror streamer, and their viewers keep returning time and time again. 
to see what adventures they get up to in those games that day. They're eventually faced with the difficult choice of continuing to dedicate themselves to that one game that everyone's eager to watch, or returning to their roots and playing the games that they love and they originally wanted to play. For many of them, that means choosing between financial stability and streaming for pure enjoyment. They might be happier streaming a random assortment of games, but the audience who showed up for Minecraft or those horror games will likely browse to a different creator who can give them exactly what they want. Quality can also come with certain expectations. It's normal for our first drawings to look really bad or our first video game to be a little buggy. Maybe our first live broadcast has a few green screen fuzzies. Everyone has to start somewhere. But as we continue to create and hone our craft, the quality of our finished product improves. If quality is unreliable or in a noticeable decline, all that good favor we've built up will start to dwindle away. Loyalty can only go so far. Eventually, our fans or customers will go elsewhere seeking better and more consistent content or goods. When expectations of our hard work are formed, we make it our goal to meet or exceed those expectations because we want to keep our supporters happy. It's a natural part of the creator-consumer relationship. The downfall, however, is that letting expectations define our work makes us less likely to branch out and explore new ways to create for fear of backlash. It's like we're trapped in a box. No outside thinking allowed, our creativity is stifled, and afforded no room to expand. The current state of the internet is geared toward creating content that people want to see rather than what we want to create. It's undeniable that a big part of uploading content to the internet resolves around SEO or search engine optimization. Google, Bing, and other search engines are a great way to connect viewers and creators alike. But the result pages are certainly designed with the consumer in mind rather than the producer. Because SEO works by examining data trends based on what people are searching for by connecting keywords from search strings to content on the web that matches those keywords. It's a lot of mumbo jumbo, but if we want more people to visit our portfolios, video channels, or merchandise shops, then we have to provide the content that they are searching for in the first place and to make sure it's all labeled correctly. While we might think an animated roleplay series based on two side characters from Final Fantasy VI is a winning idea, chances are that unless somebody is searching specifically for that content, they're unlikely to stumble across our channel. But if we know audiences are searching for that silly or fake voiceover clip from Final Fantasy XIV, then we can create that content and have much more success at drawing in viewers because we're simply giving them what they want. This, of course, highly influences our creative process. We can try to ignore the impact of SEO and go at it our own way. It's not impossible to succeed this way, but it's certainly more difficult. The math checks out. 
and the science is there. However, it's also easy to become too concerned with SEO. Overfocusing on metrics reroutes the flow of creativity. We end up becoming more obsessed with being on trend and analyzing performance data than being true to our inner artist. I personally fall into these traps when I'm looking at click-through rates and average view durations on videos. If a video idea doesn't do well, it doesn't matter how much fun I have making the content. I just won't return back to that idea because on YouTube, CTR and AVD is king. Those two numbers tell you exactly what your viewers want to watch from your content selection. But this isn't the only way to hurt our performance. Sometimes it's just good old burnout that kills our creativity. Balancing our creative vision with audience wants and needs while considering SEO and an increasing awareness so we can continue to pay our bills eventually takes a toll on our mind and our body. It's a lot of hard work to earn your place in the upper echelons of content creation and even more work to maintain your position there. The daily grind is necessary for success, but overworking staunches the flow of creativity. This is why I've always tried my hardest to maintain a work-life balance with content creation. In my early days, I would help out on my friend's channel and then work on prepping video ideas for my channel, eat dinner, stream on Twitch, and then record more videos for YouTube. My days ended around 11 p.m., sometimes midnight, and I was more than burnt out. Nowadays, you won't catch me working late on YouTube stuff unless I absolutely have to be, including right now, as you can tell in my voice, it is currently 11.45 at night, and I'm about to get on an airplane to Dallas in a couple of hours. So this will probably be edited on the plane, which isn't really helping my argument for work-life balance, but you get the idea. For the most part, I actively preach making time to step away from your keyboard and get involved with something non-media related to help just get away from it all. Internet success isn't the only creativity killer. We can just as easily fall into this trap when trying to turn our artistic hobbies into a side hustle that operates offline or mostly offline. Engaging in an artistic hobby is a really great way to relax while learning new skills, and it leaves you with something to show for your efforts. Activities that put our hands to work can increase our coordination, and studies have even shown that routinely partaking in enjoyable hobbies can reduce the amount of stress that we're under. Crafting, in particular, is a very popular creative endeavor that usually results in delightful decor and meaningful gifts for friends and family. Plus, being able to admire our handiwork at the end is also really satisfying. The same can be true for knitting, crocheting, cross-stitch, macrame, embroidery, and all those other thread, yarn, needlework arts. Before long, you end up with a pile of carefully cut, glued creations you just can't help but share with friends and family. 
Who doesn't need another handmade scarf after all? This production field generosity, however, comes with a caveat. The more you develop your skills, the more in demand you become. Thus, your unique abilities and creative vision are covetable. It starts with a simple Insta or Facebook post showcasing one of your creations that you're particularly proud of. Friends and family flood you with likes and shares, extending your reach beyond your immediate circle. More and more eyes are on your work, and eventually someone reaches out with the question, hey, can you make one for me? Skilled work attracts attention, no matter the field. And let's face it, we all have different areas of strength. So what if every perler bead Mario I try to make melts into an unrecognizable blob? I can just log on to Etsy and buy one created by someone else who is much better at wielding a hot iron than I am. Of course, the same is true the other way around. You've got what I want and I've got what you want, but thanks to the free market, everything comes with a price. And just as before, we find ourselves pursuing new horizons. This time to peddle our wares at craft fairs, local vendors, and farmers markets, while our social media inboxes fill up with numerous requests and our storefronts demand constant attention. We're back in business, baby! Unfortunately, however, it's so easy to lose sight of the original goal, which was just to enjoy a hobby and unwind with some stress relief. And when we abandon that goal in favor of making a living, we see the demand increase. And so does our productivity and our fun pastime is no longer fun. It's an endless slog of work and deadlines. For a lot of us, the urge to create begins with a deep appreciation and enjoyment of someone else's work. We form our own ideas based on an original source, and then we spin it into whatever wild and random direction our imagination wants to go. Similar to the way fan fiction writers are inspired to reshape and expand the story worlds they love. Makers and crafters browse Pinterest and watch five-minute craft videos until something flips the proverbial light switch, and a new creation soon makes its debut. Simply put, we liked it, so we made our own version of it. As a hobbyist, this method works, as does taking the, these are the supplies I have on hand, let's see what we can create approach. But of course, switching to commissions mode changes everything, because the question is never just, can you make one for me? It's, can you make one for me, but in blue or bigger or with a different fabric or of this completely unrelated object I desire? Those outside influences have jumped to their feet yet again, stamping out our ability to freely create. If you're fully taken the leap and committed to starting your own brick and mortar shop, fulfilling commissions is just one facet you have to deal with. You also have to create enough product to keep your storefront filled. A shop with only a few bracelets and a random pair of knit socks isn't likely to attract much foot traffic. While making your own jewelry or decorations does afford you more creative liberty, it takes time to make these things. 
especially if you have excellent sales numbers and need to constantly restock your inventory. If you take your show on the road, you also have to factor in time it takes to load up your merch, travel to and from the event location, set up your sales displays, and service the parade of customers flocking to your booth. With so little time to finish so much work, that little bit of creative control you've stocked up begins to suffer. It's like this video I saw recently of an artist who created the same painting under different time restrictions. One hour, 10 hours, and 100 hours. All of the paintings, they turned out great, but the one that was done over the course of 100 hours had a much higher level of intricate detail and variation in color than the one completed in only one hour. One could argue that time is the creativity killer here, but it is success and the continued drive to maintain it that is limiting time in the first place. One of my friends is a talented artist who goes from convention to convention selling her prints in the various artist alleys. One day, I asked her if she was working on anything new or something just for her, and she gave me a look as if to say, silly girl, I do not have time to make anything else outside of what I'm currently doing. She didn't say this, of course, but I was met with a, oh dear God, no. I think when art or creation of any type becomes your job, you no longer seek this creative outlet for fun. It's like asking a chef to cook when they get home from work or expecting a full-time artist to doodle for the sake of it. When your hobby becomes your job, you are no longer interested in doing it as a hobby. I know I personally fell into this with video games. I used to love sitting on the couch and just diving into a game, but recently I haven't been able to find that same joy I once did. I think for me, my brain thinks every little moment needs to be saved for streams when in reality, I can savor these moments too. So what does this mean for the future? Will true creativity eventually die out in favor of specifically designed artwork? Or will humanity continue to find ways to give fantastical mental images physical form, whether or not doing so is profitable? The idea of artists getting paid to create is nothing new, but it has changed throughout history and will likely continue to do so as it evolves. For example, during the Italian Renaissance of the 1400s, Wealthy patrons financially supported the artists they contracted to paint, sculpt, or otherwise create specific pieces of art, not unlike commissioned artwork today. Typically, Renaissance artists had little control over the details of the project they were hired to do, but through consistent output, they could find themselves kept on retainer by the court allowing them to build up a solid reputation and eventually gain more creative liberty over their art. Artists during this period depended on patronage due to the high price of art supplies and the amount of time needed to complete their work. Essentially, work as a creative artist during the Italian Renaissance was a privilege for only the most talented and successful in their field. 
the artist who could capture the eye of the upper class and maintain the necessary finances were the artists who earned the ability to create freely. Under this model, success was necessary for creativity, quite the opposite of what we see today. Artwork in the age of information, digitalization, and global connection is vastly different from the analog artworks of the past created by human hands. Software such as Adobe Photoshop or Procreate for iPad offer a wealth of digital design tools to simplify and save time creating and editing images. Why mess with an assortment of paint tubes when we have every color imaginable at the tip of our cursor? Or why spend years honing a technique when a brush tool can apply it in a matter of seconds? And this isn't just limited to painting and drawing. Instead of sculpting from clay, we can 3D print almost any object with minimal labor. Just let the machine do all the work. Poems, short stories, and even novels can be crafted in minutes with the help of ChatGPT and other AI services for that matter. Even our phones can take photos and record video with studio quality without having to invest in expensive equipment. Not to mention the tools we have available to quickly and easily create professional looking websites, portfolios, and online art galleries. All of these labor, time, and cost-saving options should encourage a global explosion of creativity. There is so much more that we can bring to life. And of course, these new methods have led to some really awesome stuff that we wouldn't have been able to create even just 50 or 100 years ago. But on the other hand, these shortcuts have also led to the ability for anyone to mass produce products. Even if they don't have the resources, thanks to those online websites that create on-demand services. For example, the Printify website allows you to upload designs and choose which media to print those designs on. We're talking t-shirts, pins, mouse pads, mugs, you name it. And a third-party service manufactures it, but only when someone places an order. Then you can turn around and sell those items on Etsy for print-on-demand profit. You can also order some of these print-on-demand products for yourself and display them in brick-and-mortar shops. This is great for custom or branded items, but maybe not so great for creativity. Print-on-demand is essentially selling an idea. Your designs are merely suggestions, and it's up to your customers to decide whether or not they're worth making. This, in turn, can lead to an artist rapidly churning out hundreds of simple designs without much thought or effort. The only thing they have to lose is the time spent creating the template. No need to purchase materials or expand any other effort in the physical production of the item. Sprinkle in a little bit of marketing and promotion, and surely you have the recipe for success with minimal effort. Sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? We could argue that there is still an artist behind the design, since someone did make and upload the image to be printed on the desired medium after all. People putting in the labor hours should surely be considered artists, too. 
for physically crafting the items, but something about the whole process feels a little bit like cheating or like we've lost sight of the meaningfulness of genuinely creative work. Artists in the past struggled for the means to even purchase their supplies, whereas today art supplies are cheap and abundant. Even a newcomer learning to craft can pick up a brush and canvas or needle and yarn without any prior training or renown. They may even be able to find a buyer despite using low quality materials, just as long as the finished item is sufficiently composed for someone, the shoe might fit. And yet, we still choose the shortcuts. Could it be that it's not success that is killing our creativity, but rather our easy access to technology? It's hard to predict where the future of creativity lies, but it seems like AI is the direction we're headed. Artificial intelligence is so, so powerful and engineers are working furiously to keep pushing the boundaries of this technology phenomenon further and further ahead. We already have AI-powered resources that can create stories and artwork based on a prompt. They're not quite perfect just yet, exhibit A being the hands, but they'll only get better from here as time goes on. Imagine if some of the other machines we use for everyday creative works were plugged into the matrix, so to speak. Take a circuit machine, for example, which is used to cut shapes from different materials and then draw with pens and markers following these instructions from a computer software. A supercharged AI circuit could be programmed to design, create, and assemble elaborate holiday cards and maybe even mail them out too. They tell us that AI is to make our lives more convenient, but I really see it as a double-edged sword. Sure, AI saves time and effort, and even what we have now is capable of spitting out unique creations. If AI does all the work, then what purpose do we have to strive for creativity? especially when saving time and effort increases the chances for financial success. Perhaps the only hope we have is for artists in the future to take all that time they have and money they're making to chase their own creative dreams. As we draw this episode to a close, I encourage you to noodle on the following. Are success and creativity mutually exclusive? Or is there some way the two of these can not only coexist or overlap, but also work in tandem with each other so that if one goes up, so does the other? If not, is it worth it to sacrifice one to achieve the other? Consider this. Movie studios constantly try to capitalize on the success of previous movies leading to tons of sequels. Take the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example. It's a prime example of this exact phenomenon. Three Iron Man movies, three Thor movies, three Guardians of the Galaxy movies. As is common with most series, many people tend to agree that the first movie in each of these trilogies is probably the best. 
except for the Thor movies, but that's another opinion for a different time. While these sequels typically lackluster and are more formulaic. However, in 2003, it was the first time in 20 years when the box office was topped by three movies that were not sequels. We're talking Barbie, Oppenheimer, and the Super Mario Brothers movie. At first glance, it looks like creativity and success go hand in hand here, with three unique movies reigning supreme. But the Barbie and Super Mario movies are both derivatives of really well-established franchises and brands, while Oppenheimer is based on a true story. Sure, the plot lines for Barbie and Mario offer a fresh perspective on long-standing characters we've come to love, and Oppenheimer could be loosely categorized as creative nonfiction. But none of these movies are wholly unique. There is no argument that these movies are successful, but whether or not they're truly creative is debatable. Well, that's it for me here. I hope I gave you something to noodle on. I'm so sorry my voice is just absolute trash. It is very late. So I apologize for that and this episode taking so long to come out. As stated in previous episodes, if you were listening, I think this topic just hits a little too close to home for me. And I'm not ready to face the music or admit that my own creativity is stifled from my own doing. I encourage you to noodle on ways you can be more creative in your own lives. And if you have any tips or creative things that you'd like to share, please post them in our Discord or follow us on Twitter at a pod to noodle on. Until next time, bye friends.